Against the Odds, AHC's inaugural podcast series featuring the true stories of real-life bands of brothers who exhibited unparalleled bravery, solidarity, and endurance on the battlefield to come out on top in a fight against impossible odds. Reliving battles from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and Iraq, these are true stories of the harsh realities of war as told by the veterans who survived to tell. I'm your host, Shane Bowler, and this week we present Bloody George at the Chosin Reservoir. In June of 1950, at the onset of the Korean War, 200 men of George Company are rushed to war for the first time. By September, their sacrifice and valor earned them the nickname Bloody George. Within two months, the entire 1st Marine Division is trapped and fighting for their lives in the Chosin Reservoir. I just never did make my mind to give up. Somehow or another, I was going to survive it. Bloody George, lost behind enemy lines, must fight an epic battle to rescue their fellow Marines. Reality starts setting in that this is not like the John Wayne movie. You can see the shots going up the road because it was like a beehive. We knew we was in a bad situation. We was only living more or less minute by minute. An incredible story of courage lost to time. We were trying to get to Hagaroo to save them, and it looked like we needed the rescue. A brotherhood forged in battle that would change the course of history. You're fighting for the guy alongside you. You protect him, he protects you and the men who met their destiny in a frozen hell of ice and blood. Throughout American history, there are crucial points where a few men make the difference between victory and defeat. That's the men of Bloody George. This is their story, Against the Odds, Bloody George. Patrick O'Donnell, author of Give Me Tomorrow. This is the summer of 1950, when America was on top. It was the arsenal of democracy, and the last thing on its mind was war. Arthur Harrell Roberts. I joined the reserve when I was in high school, as soon as I turned 17 years of age. World War II having just been over just a few years, you know, who would have thought there'd be another war all of a sudden? Bruce Farr. A lot of us people including myself, didn't think there would ever be another war. And that was largely due to the fact that the United States had perfected the atomic bomb. Jim Byrne. So in 1949, when I was a senior in high school, I joined the Marine Corps Reserve. But in 49, I had no expectations of ever facing the enemy. There was no enemy, and they were talking about the atomic bomb era. There was no need for uh, soldiers anymore. The United States went from 12 million men under arms to less than 1 million. The Marine Corps was cut to the bone. There were only a couple hundred thousand men in the Marine Corps at this time. And it was this sort of desperation that America found itself in in the summer of 1950. Everything is kind of at a hair trigger, and America was unprepared for war. June 25th, 1950, it came as a total shock and surprise when North Koreans stormed across the border. And Seoul was taken within a matter of days. 
voices and stories of the men and women who make the news of a world at war. From the Republic of South Korea is that at this moment, military forces from North Korea... A shocked and infuriated President Harry Truman, believing the communist takeover to be a direct threat to the security of the United States, rallies the UN to send forces. He is careful to use the term police action rather than war, so as not to alarm an America still healing from the wounds of the Second World War. On July 1st, 1950, understrength, ill-equipped, and poorly trained U.S. infantry rush from Japan to Korea. Within three days, the North Koreans are driving all U.N. forces southward in frantic retreat. On July 31st, the Americans make a desperate last stand at the southern port of Pusan. On September 8, 1950, with the American forces trapped in the Pusan perimeter, an American armada sails secretly north for an amphibious invasion to rescue the embattled troops. On board the transports are 50,000 U.S. soldiers, Republic of Korea troops, and U.S. Marines. Among the 1st Marine Division are the Young Men of George Company, a mix of new recruits and reservists with little or no training. Few could imagine that this rough bunch of tenderfoots would emerge as legends in a war that would soon turn into a nightmare. Thomas J. Powers, 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines Division, George Company. I was uh, 19 at the time. Most of the guys that were in George Company were all young men except for the NCOs. The NCOs and officers looked for us like we were little children, because we had never been in combat before. And that's the way it's done. Uh, if you don't take care of your own, nobody else is gonna take care of Led by World War II veteran First Sergeant Rocco Zulo, George Company has had just a few weeks to prepare for the war. Many of these men were reservists that didn't have any training at all, didn't even know how to fire a rifle, their M1 Garands, or throw a grenade. Bob Harbula, 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines Division, George Company. We're heading up to Inchon, but as we entered the LSC, we got hit by a typhoon. We were supposed to learn the machine gun on the ship going over to Korea, but that didn't work out so good because for the first five, six days out, we were just on the, uh, thrown up over the side of the ship. Marines like George Company had zero training for this amphibious assault or time to plan it. Leading the attack is America's old god of war, Commanding General Douglas MacArthur. To smash the North Korean army and save his forces pinned against the sea at the Pusan perimeter, MacArthur pulls a play right out of his glorious World War II playbook. The outrageously dangerous plan will land his troops amphibiously and seize the occupied port of Incheon, with the 1st Marine Division at the point. They will then fight their way through the enemy-held capital of Seoul. If he can block this critical road and rail junction, he will cut off the North Korean forces besieging Pusan and force them into a headlong retreat. Aboard the slow-moving transports, time is the enemy as the young men of George Company are left to find their own way to deal with the anxieties of the approaching battle. We had a showing of the John Wayne movie, Sans Iwo Jima. 
And the only way you can stop me is to kill me. That's just what I'll do. And after watching John Wayne six times in two days, I told my buddy, this is what I need, a war. On September 15th, 1950, the invasion of Inchon begins. You saw so many of these newsreels from the Second World War. It was like being at a movie, and here you were, in it. None of us to speak of had, had ever seen combat. On September 17th, MacArthur's forces land at Incheon. They catch the North Korean forces holding the city by surprise, but a 20-foot seawall slows the advance, leaving the boys of George Company sitting ducks for gunfire now pouring in. As we went in, climbed up the seawall, I saw the first Marine killed in my life. Reality starts setting in, that this is not like the John Wayne movie. On September 19th, after two days of fighting, Inchon is recaptured, and MacArthur begins his push towards Seoul. The landing at Inchon is a strategic masterpiece, using surprise to quickly overwhelm the North Korean forces. It is a confidence-building baptism into fire for the boys of George Company, a good way to begin a war for a group of boys who were there at the beginning of a nightmare. The 1st Marine Division arrives on the outskirts of Seoul, Korea on September 21st. Here, George Company makes one of its first epic stands, and it's their first uh, real test in battle. They really encounter combat in a face-to-face -face manner. It's close-up combat. You could almost stand on the side of the road and see the shots going up the road because it was like a beehive. You're not fighting for a mother or apple pie or the flag or anything. You're fighting for the guy alongside you. You protect him, he protects you. Your buddies are the most important thing in your life. The North Koreans mount a night attack. They hit the Marines with, with several tanks and self-propelled guns. George Company, with just bazookas, grenades, and their rifles, basically stops this Korean onslaught. It's, it's a different world when you're 19 years old and, and you have to fight a war. I, I lost so many men. I do not remember too many names. Maybe it's good that it's blocked out of my mind. It was after the fighting in Seoul that George Company gets its nickname or moniker, Bloody George, because of the casualties that it had sustained. With his enemy in full retreat, MacArthur strikes quickly. 
He ignores the growing agitation of North Korea's biggest ally, China, as well as disturbing intelligence reports of 260,000 Chinese troops massing in Manchuria. The confident MacArthur sends his men racing after the fleeing North Koreans. It will be the greatest single mistake of his brilliant career. For the diminishing group of Bloody George men, it will be a mistake that brings an especially cruel destiny. Unfolding events will turn the tables of war and thrust Bloody George into the pivotal heart of battle against crushing odds, and will forge an unbreakable brotherhood that will turn the tide of the Korean War. Against the Odds returns on AHC. Whatever we did was hell. And all of a sudden, it seemed like everything around here, every house, every little window, fire was coming from everywhere. They started firing machine guns, rockets, RPGs. You can see the guys getting hit and still advancing forward. The buck stops here. We put our sweat, blood, and tears into that city. Everything inside of you changed. I hope I get out of this alive. All new Against the Odds, Monday at 10 on AHC. By late November, Bloody George, as part of MacArthur's invasion force, is in pursuit of the fleeing North Koreans. Confident in quick victory, MacArthur continues to ignore reports of massive Chinese troop buildups along the border and the grumblings of their potential intervention to help their North Korean ally. Jim Byrne, 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines Division, George Company. At that time, General MacArthur was talking about the end of the war. He was telling everyone that the troops will be home by Christmas. We wanted to get a, a taste of combat, come back and be able to wear a ribbon. And uh, it looked like the Marines were doing so well that it might be over before we got there. Jim Byrne, 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines Division, George Company. Being a replacement, we hadn't seen any combat at this time. We were like the young fellows it was a, quite an adventure for us. MacArthur, looking to deliver a final blow to his enemy, makes a fateful decision. Convinced China will not enter the war, MacArthur splits his powerful force, sending his army and the 1st Marine Division into separate pursuits of the fleeing North Koreans. China, unwilling to see their ally defeated, has laid a trap for the onrushing Americans. Over 120,000 Chinese troops are waiting at Kotori. Bruce Farr, 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines Division, George Company. On Thanksgiving Day, they sent the whole 1st Marine Regiment up into Chosen Reservoir, but they held George Company 3-1 back on account they didn't have enough trucks to haul us. Spent the night there and woke up the next morning under two and a half inches snow. I think MacArthur kind of had his horse blinders on and was completely obsessed with victory and ignored all the threats, including the, the largest threat, which was the threat of China. All up and down the Chosen Reservoir, the Chinese army attacks in strength. The Chinese attacked MacArthur's separated units, sending his army into a full retreat south. They trapped the 5th and 7th Marine regiments a dozen miles north of the 1st Marine Division headquarters at Hagaru Ri. 
the critical transportation hub and main supply depot along with an unfinished airfield, is now surrounded by 3,000 Chinese, hell-bent on annihilating the 1st Marine Division. Hagaru-ri is now crucial to the survivor of the 1st Marine Division. If the separated 5th and 7th Marines can fight their way in, the Marines can consolidate to begin a fighting withdrawal out of the Chosin Trap. Hagaru's unfinished airfield, now the only means of getting out the growing number of wounded, must be completed and made operational. The only garrison with any hope of reaching Hagaru-ri in time is 11 miles to the south of Kotori, where an understrength George company, a few hundred Royal Marines, and divisional staff are located. So on the morning of November 29th, Lieutenant Colonel Drysdale of the Royal Marines was given the job of getting as many troops to Hagaru as he could. And he was told again, they've got to be there. We're not sure we can keep Hagaru out of enemy hands. The icy winding road into Hagaru-ri, dubbed Hellfire Valley, is 11 miles of torturous hairpin turns running between towering hills. These hills now swarm with an entire division of furious Chinese. They slow progress with vicious roadblocks and pour scathing fire from the heights onto the 900 men in the 141 slow-moving trucks of Task Force Drysdale. Fate has placed George Company at the fiery center of a deadly gauntlet as they run to rescue their Marine brothers trapped in a freezing hell. Task Force Drysdale begins on the morning of November 30th, and they're given practically a suicide mission to somehow fight through 11 miles of territory that's held by elements of an entire Chinese division. As they get out the gates, they're immediately hit by the Chinese. Every few hundred yards, they're hit by Chinese mortars and machine guns. The trucks are turned into Swiss cheese. Several are hit directly with mortar rounds. It's a road of death. The radios wouldn't work in this cold weather. There was no way of us knowing what was happening two or three trucks behind us. There's, there's firing going on all, not just in front of you, but the whole length of that convoy. The fire became so intense that the tanks had trouble uh, because guys running up to, to the road on satchel charges underneath the uh, tanks. Tillman was on his knees. Right by me, I was touching him. He was on his knees, and all of a sudden something said, and I turned, and Tillman's helmet rolled down the hill. He caught a, caught a round <laughs> right under the lip. And he was gone that quick. Gone that quick. Right over he went. And so uh, that was my introduction to combat. We were trying to get to Hagaru to, to save them. And it looked like we needed the rescue. We knew we was in a bad situation. 
We didn't know that we was going to be running roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. We was only living more or less minute by minute, doing what we had to do. Colonel Drysdale contact General Smith and asks whether or not we should turn back because the casualties are, are so high. And Sitter and Drysdale are given a direct order, press on at all costs. With the war in the Chosin Reservoir hanging in the balance, the icy cold orders to keep fighting forward are clear to the men of George Company. Do what you must, sacrifice what you must, but Hagaru must be saved. George Company fought its way towards Hagaruri. They were outnumbered massively by the Chinese. But they were not only facing the Chinese as an enemy, but the weather. The weather became deadly. Arthur Harold Roberts, 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines Division, George Company. One of the things was frostbite. Golly. There's just no way to get away from that cold weather. This war was a terrible war. By 9 p.m., George Company has been under relentless attack for 13 hours, and they still have two miles left to fight to Hagaruri. The Chinese was close. They were right at the edge of the road. And just keep coming, seemed like. Seemed like there wasn't no end to them. We knew that all odds pretty much was against us. The truck behind me got hit with a, a mortar shell and burst into flame, and you could see the guys inside of it in flames. When they say Hellfire Valley, it was Hellfire Valley. It was terrible. The Chinese, who are very well versed in ambush tactics, start to split the convoy. They cut it apart. The middle segment of the convoy is surrounded and are fighting for their lives. And many of these men are made prisoners of war. At 11 p.m., after 19 hours of relentless fighting, Task Force Drysdale arrives at Hagaru Ri. Over 900 men made up Task Force Drysdale, but only about 350 somehow made it through the gates at Hagarari. This was all that was left. I left Coterie at 19 years of age <laughs> and was 45 by the time I got, I got to uh, uh, Hagarari. Everybody had that thousand yards there. As George Company settles in, they can hear gunfire erupting high atop a hill, looming eerily to the north. East Hill is a grim 1,640-foot nightmare of ice and rock that towers over the garrison and surrounding hamlet of Hagaru. If the Chinese now flowing in from the northeast can capture the hill, they can bring their artillery to full force against the defenders below. Without Hagaru, the 5th and 7th Marine Regiments fighting desperately to reach the garrison will be lost. 
With no airfield to fly out the growing casualties, they will perish. In one final sweeping assault, the Chinese could annihilate the entire 1st Marine Division and hold Korea in their grasp. Starving and exhausted, the small brotherhood of George Company Marines is all that stands in the enemy's way. At that point, we didn't know the name of East Hill, and he just pointed um, like so. See that hill there? That's George Company's hill. We're to take that hill at all costs. None of us had any idea what was in store for him. An estimated 6,000 Chinese troops pour into the reservoir for a final epic showdown. Bloody George, hardened in battle and unbreakable in spirit, will be waiting. All 200 of them. Against the Odds returns on AHC. Every day was hell. And all of a sudden, it seemed like everything around here, every house, every little window, fire was coming from everywhere. They started firing machine guns, rockets, RPGs. You can see the guys getting hit and still advancing forward. The buck stops here. We put our sweat, blood, and tears into that city. Everything inside of you changed. I hope I get out of this alive. All new Against the Odds, Monday at 10 on AHC. John Davis, Paul DeVries, Ray Dollar, Pat Edmonds, Christian Gale, Bill Green. Killed on East Hill. Walter Seavers, killed in the early days of the war. Ralph Murphy, Red Nash, Roy E. Shuri, killed after his convoy was ambushed in the hills of near Mejani. Joe Rice, he was my assistant gunner and he died in my arms on East Hill. These are all the heroes of George Company that gave their lives in Korea. All 18, 19 year old guys mostly that paid the ultimate price. And this is really the honor roll of George Company. They gave everything they had. On November 30th, with thousands of Chinese forces attempting to overrun the 1st Marine headquarters at Hagaru, less than 200 men of George Company fighting on East Hill are all that stand in the way. George Company got to the top of East Hill, the crest, and started forming its positions and waited for that night because they knew that night there'd be another attack. It got dark and we were close enough to those Chinese that you could hear them talking. And then we hear them stomping their feet. And then they heard the whistles blow. And then the bugles blew. Wow. Then here they came. They hit us with a regiment of Chinese, which is like 3,000. 
One of the first guys that I saw get killed on that hill was, was Tommy Wilcox. And Wilcox had a, had a good friend named Martinez. Martinez went wild. <laughs> he, he wanted to go get those Chinese. And it took about four guys. <laughs> Excuse me. Took about four guys to hold him back, hold him down. Got back back up there on the line. There was a boy named Roach, and uh, damn, he got shot. And uh, he cried for his mother. And <laughs> just like stabbing you in the heart. But anyway, you get used to that. You get used to it. But it does, it does affect you. Fred Hems fired so many rounds through that machine gun that night that the barrel was like a neon light, it was lit up. I was laying over the ridge firing down, and all of a sudden, right through my left wrist. It was a World War I battle in many ways. Machine guns ruled the day. Machine guns ripped and tore into the bodies of charging Chinese, which were launching human wave assaults. And the combat descended into hand-to-hand -hand combat. You couldn't tell where the enemy was until a flare would go off. There's either right in your foxhole with you, or there was 20, 30 foot down the hill. It's hard, it's really hard to relive all this, even more than 60 years later, it's still, it's still hard to put your mind back through it. After three days of defending East Hill, the 5th and 7th regiments finally fight their way through to Hagaruri. After somehow withstanding several days of Chinese assaults in the weather, the 5th and 7th Marines had finally broken through and fought their way down to Hagaruri. And they saw these men as they marched in formation with pride and singing the Marine Corps hymn as they entered the gates of Hagarari. With the surge in manpower, George Company is finally relieved on East Hill after five horrific days. The 200-man force has been reduced to just 96 men, most barely able to stand. But in the breaking dawn, the roar of the C-47s overhead signals the incredible miracle that George Company has made possible. Their sacrifice, trading blood for time, has given the workers below the crucial hours needed to complete the airfield and begin the life-saving flights out of Hagaru. I believe I went out on the first daggum aircraft that flew out of Hagaru. The only thought I ever had 
when I was being transferred out was I left the people in my unit. George Company, 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines. They, in that short period of time, had become my brothers, my family. And I was concerned about them. I had to get back to them. I felt empty. I should have been with them. Even with the garrison now swollen to over 14,000 men, Hagaru cannot hold against the Chinese forces. The 1st Marine Division begins a mass exodus, even as the last of the wounded are flown out. Their only hope of escape is a deadly hike back through Hellfire Valley in an attempt to reach the port of Hungnam, where ships wait to transport them out of the Chosin to fight another day. As the garrison flees, so does the surrounding town of Hagaru. Fearing Chinese retaliation, they swell the exodus to more than 100,000 people. As the convoy presses forward, they have no idea that the Chinese, who have no intention of letting them escape, are setting yet another trap. Chinese troops rush to the hills lining the escape route to prepare for a slaughter of the now vulnerable 1st Marine Division. As the caravan slows, a photojournalist with Life magazine catches up with Bloody George and asks one of the exhausted Marines, what would you want if you could have any wish? As he snapped what would become the most iconic image of the Korean War, his weary subject said at last, give me tomorrow. Bloody George has paid an enormous price for the hell they have exacted on their enemy. But now, in this final epic showdown, the last 96 survivors of Bloody George, defiant as ever, plan to finish what they started. In December, with emergency calls flooding the U.S. 7th Fleet off the coast of Korea, Navy and Marine fighters launch in support of the massive civilian in 1st Division Exodus fleeing Hagaru to the port of Hongnan. Against the crippling cold, the 1st Marine Division, including the last 96 survivors of George Company, are desperately fighting back thousands of enemy troops, now pouring artillery and machine gun fire into the caravan. We had to be concerned more, I guess, about the weather than we was even the enemy. We was all sick. I come out of there with pneumonia, had no energy. We was concerned about what was going to physically make it through the cold weather there. Finally, after torturous hours, Marine Corsairs flying from carriers offshore arrived to scrape the Chinese tormentors off the high ridges with rockets, bullets, and napalm. At long, terrible last, George Company can see the possibility of survival as Hung Nam comes into sight. When I got close enough, I could see the ships out at sea. That was one of the most beautiful sights I could see. There was a number of ships waiting on the 1st Marine Division there. Having barely escaped annihilation, the 1st Marine Division loads onto waiting ships that will transport them out of the chosen trap to safety and much needed rest. 
Within weeks, the division, including members of George Company, will be back in action in Korea. It will be another two and a half brutal years before the boys of George Company finally come home. Throughout American history, there are crucial points where a few men make the difference between victory and defeat. That's the men of Bloody George, who came together from all walks of American life, many with no experience at all, and did something extraordinary. They changed the course of the Korean War. They arguably helped save the 1st Marine Division by their actions on East Hill. George Company made the difference between victory and defeat. Most of the people today don't even know what the Chosen Reservoir is about. They should teach us to the kids. This was probably the greatest battle that was ever fought by a division in wartime. We had 149 guys in our company that were killed in action. We had over a thousand Purple Hearts. I guess that's why they call us Bloody George, because we were pretty bloody. Being a member of George Company fills me with an immense pride. There's something about being shot at that makes you part of a, an elite group. It, it can't be like a football team, it can't be like a baseball team, it can't be like a unit that never faces combat. Once you've been shot at, everything is different. It creates a bond that is indescribable. There was a bond that took place in the time I served with them, that nobody else can understand unless, unless they were there. That's what makes Marines. And I hope to think I was one, and still today. After uh, East Hill, we cut up uh, red parachutes and uh, tied them around our neck and let everybody know who Bloody George was. And we still get together once a year. It's a brotherhood uh, that can't be broken. These boys, once they bond together, they, their lives depend on one another. And that's what made Bloody George, Bloody George. They never hesitate. They are still a band of brothers. Still a band of brothers. And, and what a pleasure it is to be a part of them. This podcast was produced by the American Heroes Channel. Join us again next week as we journey to Vietnam and against the odds, the battle for Way City. The story of the U.S.'s longest and bloodiest battle of the Tet Offensive and the fight for the cultural center of Vietnam that would become a turning point for the war. I'm your host, Shane Bowler. Thank you for listening.